Hello, everyone. We're back. It's Pop Culture Mondays on Thursdays, and I'm your host, Brooke Hammerling. Pop Culture Mondays on Thursdays. Hello, my darling pop culture junkies. It has been a minute. I took last week off, not because I was actually in London, but because I wasn't in London because my passport didn't come through, but I was emotionally broken and I just couldn't podcast. I couldn't do anything. The fact that I was able to even brush my teeth and wash my hair. I didn't get out there. I didn't get to hang out with my friends and Deborah Hellinger in London. And and I'm just bummed, but, but we're back. I've pulled it together. I've taken some some Xanax to get through it and we're back. And I also am not solo today. I promised you, I said, once I got my act together and things started to calm down a little bit, though, I don't know when it's going to calm down. I was going to have a good group of guests and no better guests to kick that trend back off is the one and only Shawnee Hilton. Hi, Shawnee. Hi, Brooke. Shawnee, I'm going to do a little brief intro for people who don't know Shawnee, because Shawnee, I don't know if you are really aware of the fact that you're one of the big reasons I'm in Los Angeles, and I'm going to tell that story. But when I first got to know Shawnee, you, Shawnee, were the executive editor of some, something big and powerful at BuzzFeed News, which is very much in the news today. I want to talk about that. And I will never forget the afternoon, the cold, wintry afternoon of sitting in Lydia and Candy's beautiful apartment in Brooklyn. And we were all dressed up in winter coats. We were going to the movies or coming from the movies. And you dropped this bomb on me on this cold, gray, wintry, (laughs) sad day in New York. But not sad because I was with my friends, my beautiful, beautiful girlfriends. And Shawnee's like, I'm moving to Los Angeles and I'm, I have a convertible and I'm packing the cats in and we're going to LA, something like that. I, that is in my vision. I don't, I don't remember if you drove across country or what you did, but you were like, I'm moving to LA and I'm, I'm getting a place by the beach and I'm going to work for the LA times. Yeah. And it broke me. (laughs) It did, but you bounced back. Well, I went to have brunch with or lunch with you shortly after you moved. I came out to the where L.A. Times was. Where is that? Where is that? El Segundo? Yeah, we were in Westchester, but yeah, El Segundo. Okay, and we had Thai food. And I was like, this life is good. This life is good. And then COVID hit. And Mm -hmm. then I was like, L.A., Shawnee, palm trees, beach. (laughs) And here I am. But Shawnee is now she's got she's so big time, guys. She's got two titles. (laughs) And so it's a mouthful. Managing editor for new initiatives at the L.A. Times and SVP of the L.A. Times studios. Did I get that right? You did, babe. Wow. I don't know how you do it. Do you just, do you say Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, you're going to be managing editor of new <laughs> initiatives and Tuesday and Thursday, the SVP? Like, how do you, do you set, do you like put hours behind each one? It's or more is it like just- a, it's like a feeling I have when I get out of bed. Like when my feet hit the floor, I'm like, oh, this is an SVP day. You know? <laughs> and do you go into the office? No, nobody goes. I mean, sometimes I try to go. I Technically, I try to go in once a week uh, on Thursdays, but nobody's there. It's just me and like a couple of people. So I don't go in that often. Okay. Well, yeah, but I like it. It's yeah. powerful. So BuzzFeed News. Mm, heard of it. Heard of rip, it. Rip BuzzFeed News. Unbelievable. I mean, you and uh, what's that guy's name? Um, uh, uh, oh, yeah. Ben Smith. You guys were the media sort of epicenter of the new world of news and digital media. And what a time. It was such an amazing time. It was such a it was such a promising time of sort of this the answer of of just this new guard coming in. And you guys took it to such another level. I mean, so many things happened at BuzzFeed News. It was at the it was at the forefront of sort of so much great journalism and fun things and so much talent. And then you guys left and it all fell apart. <laughs> First I left and then it started to fall apart and then Ben left. And then Ben left. <laughs> Shocked. You, you sunk the ship. But what happened? No, what no. Happened? It was such a it's so it's such an interesting 
I'm so grateful for my experience there. And, I'm, and that sounds like the cheesy LA thing to say, like, I, you know, namaste. I'm gratitude. So gratitude. Hashtag gratitude. <laughs> Hashtag blessed. <laughs> but I don't mean it that way. I mean, it literally like my career wouldn't be where it is today without the freedom and like ability that BuzzFeed News gave me to try things, to, to really be journalism first. I think that was the thing that made us quote unquote hot, unlike some other digital properties is that we were doing a lot of like really, really, really hard hitting reporting. And we had such free reign to do what we felt was right. And I think if you look around at any newsroom, all the top newsrooms in the country, alumni of that organization are scattered throughout and leading new things. So it was an amazing time. And I was super sad when, when the news came out last week, it was, it was one of like, I got a call very early in the morning and I was like, I'm going back to sleep. It's a SVP day. But then I woke up (laughs) and I was like, over the course of the day, I really felt like a kind of heaviness because it was such a special. Yeah, it really was, which I've never experienced. Is this purely to do with advertising and the advertising world changing so much and all of the digital? Is it because Facebook changed their algorithms all that time ago? Like what, what happened? Because the talent is there. This is how we get our news or is just everybody, is it just basically everybody's using the daily mail now and no other news matters? Like tell me what it is. I think it was just never a viable investment. Like a lot of money was pumped into companies like BuzzFeed and and it was never going to be profitable based on the advertising market that we were dealing with. It just wasn't. And we weren't we weren't willing to go to a subscription model for a long time. We didn't even have banner ads on the site and then eventually they changed that. Um, it was fully in the in the branded content space for a long time. But yeah, that branded content space, the spawn con, as mm-hmm. we say, I remember I remember those early days because I worked very closely with Refinery29 and it was mm-hmm. such a rocket ship. And those guys were, you know, that team was incredible, um, obviously had some problems as as these things do. And there's sort of the kids are given all this power and a lot of them come from old school media and learned from the old ways, like the Anna Wintour ways, the scary ways. And they think that's how that's going to carry over into the new world. That doesn't work. But then on the other side, like, so the legacy media mindset of like, we're going to have black town cars drive us everywhere and I'm going to throw phones when I'm frustrated. That didn't work in the new digital media world, but neither did the sort of kids running the asylum where where you get to do everything and money is coming from investors. Um, and eventually advertisers. I wonder, do you think if BuzzFeed had changed, if Jonah Peretti had said, you know what, early on, we're going to go to subscription because you look at like Semaphore and you look at Puck and you see they have a much smaller audience, but it doesn't even matter because people are paying, you know, the information, a great example, there is revenue there. They are making money. Do you think that could have changed or do you think it was too soon that people weren't ready for a subscription model then? Uh, We just weren't in that mindset of paying directly for stuff from people that we trust at at that point. I think also that was the mindset of scale. That was the time of like big, big audiences. Facebook can drive 20 million people to one post on BuzzFeed. And that's like the greatest thing that's ever happened. I just don't think it was even conceived of that, that the rise of Substack, the rise of, of small publications with dedicated, paid, highly paid audiences kind of came out of nowhere. Right. Just it just felt like that time was so, I look back at it, it's hard for me to analyze it because in some ways I'm too close to it, in other ways I'm too far away, but it just feels like it was a moment that was a moment contained within like eight to 12 years that could could only have been then. Right. It could only have been then. And I, I just, I find it so curious because, oh my God, the there was so much attention. And then all of a sudden, I, I won't forget, I was in London actually. And I had just met with a company, Lad Bible. Do you remember them? Mm-hmm. And they were huge. They were just mm-hmm. ginormous. And it, this was before TikTok, obviously. This was when everybody was getting their stuff on Facebook and Instagram. And Facebook all of a sudden changed overnight its algorithm. And all of those publishers got killed. And, and, and were you part of that? Was that during your time? Yeah. I mean, in that guy, that, uh, Ben Smith, his book, he talks about this, uh, <laughs> his book that just came out, Trout what is coming out. What is his book called? That, that, that guy, Ben <laughs> Smith? Guy, the guy, Ben Smith. It's called Traffic. Keep hearing about it. So, and I saw on Twitter, Jessica Lesson from The Information said, oh, this book, maybe my, I'll write the next book called Revenue. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> like, I think that's kind of a burn. I don't Ouch. know. I, this <laughs> is me. <laughs> 
Okay, so no. that guy, Ben Smith, writes in this book that's coming out called Traffic, which is going to be awesome. I can't wait to read it. He writes about kind of like what we call the greatest day on the internet, which was February, I want to say February 23rd, 2014, in which two llamas escaped and a dress went viral. And it was the most viral day of all time on the internet. Wait, was that the blue? The blue gold. Blue gold, gold dress? Yeah. Blue, black, black and blue. Oh, right, right, gold. right. Oh my God, I'll never forget that. That fucking thing blew my mind away. Where did the llamas escape from? I don't remember the llamas. I remember the, the llamas. Dress. The day began with the llamas. I believe the llamas were in Virginia. Don't quote me. But the llamas escaped and suddenly everybody was like watching a llama cam. And then all of a sudden it was, guys, what color is this dress? And then everybody lost their ever-loving minds. I mean, I still lose my mind. So it was the most viral day on the internet. And there's a theory, at least amidst, uh, like among Jonah and Ben, was that that scared Facebook a little bit. They lost control of the algorithm because the people really, truly upvoted and decided this was the thing that we all cared about that day. And it feels like to some people that that's when the algorithm really began to change. That's so interesting. I would never have made that connection. So that guy, Ben Smith's book is going to be a banger, as the kids say. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, it was a sad day for digital media, uh, the promise and execution. And, you know, I don't think it's all down to it. I know Jonah has said he has regrets and so forth and so on. But I think you're right. I think the time is so different. And Substack, you know, it's interesting. I want to talk to you about Substack because I I talked to them early on. You have a Substack, Shawnee.Substack, people, S H A. Ni.substack. And she writes because Shawnee writes is probably the most prolific, most, I don't know, I, it, the way you, <laughs> she writes about baseball. She loves baseball. I've never re- read baseball in a way. Like it brings baseball to life in ways that you could never understand. I was like, what is going on? I had no idea about this thing that Shawnee had in her back pocket and her deep, deep obsession. She knows every every stat, everything, every player, everything. (laughs) And it's called Shawnee Keeps the Score. And I I highly suggest you subscribing to it. Now, I was asked early on and talked to early on about putting PCM on Substack. And I remember I had it. I didn't. I'm still on Medium. And I, I think it's because there's a couple pain points for me. One, I edit that fucking newsletter all throughout because it's a blog. I can go back and change the CMS and my dyslexia means that like I have really bad edits sometimes where I, it just drives me nuts. But the other and probably real reason is because I was scared. I was scared that like, then I would have to be accountable. Like there would be real subscribers as opposed to people. Like I, I, I just, I have such an archaic old way of doing it. And, and I don't even know now, to be honest, if I can do all the things that I do, they probably can where I can in, inlay video and so forth and so on. Like with Medium, why you see me do, I basically only show Twitters and TikToks and I screenshot Instagram is because Instagram doesn't allow itself to be integrated into Medium. So that's another reason. So there's just... I've, I've been scared of Substack, but talk to me about your experience with it and how that's changed your thinking around this new form. I don't publish that often, but I do, to your point about editing, that's a big one. Cause you know, I think in my heart, I'm still a blogger, you know, and that like, I haven't, there was like an itch, I have felt an itch to blog. And I was like, what can I blog about that feels just totally to the side of whatever everybody else cares about, but is meaningful to me. And that's where I, where I landed with, with baseball, but the one editing, it's like when you make a mistake and then you send it out, you can edit it, but the people get the version that has a mistake in it. So I've taken to like printing it out and like line that's reading That's what it. I would do. And I would, I, I've talked about it. I would literally, I would be apoplectic. Like I'm no, apoplectic it, hate when, it. I leave my house and somebody texts me and it's always like, it's amazing. I get like Jordan Crook will send me texts and be like, Mm -hmm. uh, you, you might want to check this or you might want to check that. This is an error. Like I get a bunch of people who give me edits and I love them for it. But if I can't, if I can't edit it right away, I'm apoplectic. So I don't know. (laughs) I would need need real, real anti-anxiety meds on the reg. Yeah. But otherwise it's been fine. I don't try to monetize mine. I I have a very small following. It's just my meandering. You know, when I feel the spirit moves me to post, I post. Well, I know you're not watching a Giants game just for me to do this pod, but like, who's your baseball team? 
San Francisco Giants. And do you like only watch the Giants? Will you watch another team? Will you? I was just getting yelled at by my friend Max Reed, who feels that I have a somewhat promiscuous relationship with a lot of different baseball teams. In, <laughs> in that, I love the Giants, but I can find something to love in almost every team except for the Dodgers. Okay, well, fuck the Dodgers. Um, <laughs> and I do think it's funny because, like, what is it? I used to be a real hockey groupie when I was in, growing up in New York in Rye, and we were called Puck Bunnies. <laughs> What is I'm, the what is the term for the uh, the groupie of baseball? I don't think baseball has. It's Ugh. not a sport that has like hot girls who are trying to like. I mean, I'm sure it does because all play sports do, but it's mostly old people and it's children. So funny. I, I love a baseball <laughs> game. I love a I love a hot dog and a you know a beer and sitting there. I love the Oakland A's because I love that Billy Bean. But we're talking about media and I do think it's the evolution of media. So we've seen this evolution from like the promise of this digital media with the BuzzFeeds and the Refinery 29s and the Vices and all of that. And yet we've seen a rise in traditional media, especially, well, print, obviously, like, you know, here we are, a New York Times, LA Times, these things are growing and broadcast. And this week was a shocker, a total shocker. You know, I didn't make it a main point of the newsletter because it was happening while I was writing. And I obviously had to get to Cake Gate 23 <laughs> and <laughs> Sophia Ritchie's wedding. So I just mentioned the Tucker Carlson firing and the Don Lemon firing and it all happening in real time. And I needed a week to sort of let it I needed to understand what was going on because we didn't have, as I was writing PCM, we didn't have the answers except for Don Lemon's weird choice mm -hmm. of how he announced it. Like, what was that app? Like, did he type it up and photograph it and then put it on his Instagram? It was so, I was like, dude, like, okay, boomer, it was bad. And it then was, Tucker, as of this is Wednesday, I don't believe has said anything or Tuesday okay. evening. He's hired a lawyer, right? That's he's it. hired a lawyer, but he, had the, he and Don Lemon, I think, have the same lawyer now here's my question for you brooke actually yeah can i wait can i ask you a question yeah please bring it how is it for you now living on the west coast we wake up to this stuff you wake up and you look at your phone and it's like 10 crazy things have happened before you have your coffee just because of the time zone yeah so my whole life here has changed because as shawnee knew me in new york i would be getting home from dinner around midnight or one on a, on a normal night on just a normal night. Like I would go to bed on a normal night at one in the morning. Um, and didn't sleep that much, but I would still wake up at like seven 30 probably in LA. I find myself like I go to bed. I can be, I watch Stephanie rule on MSNBC live live, which means okay. that she's on at 8 p.m. Pacific time. And then Stephanie and I text during commercial breaks and she's still texting me. Sometimes I've fallen asleep and that bitch is still working and it's midnight, 1215. <laughs> and then I will also have texts from her in the morning before I've woken up. Like, I don't understand it, but I do wake up at about 530 and start looking at news and so mm -hmm. forth. And then I give myself a mental health minute and I go and do my wordle and the crossword. And this is all before I've gotten out of bed. Potato doesn't like to wake up early, so I have to give him a yes, minute. But yeah, it's, you feel like you're in catch up mode. You're just like, dude, slow down. This is all crazy. The Tucker and, and Don Lemon stuff happened at a reasonable hour. I think it was right. like, it was still like 8.30 or 9 our time. But still, it was um, the, the L.A. being behind so much is very hard. I find it hard. I get I get anxiety, which is why I wake up so early. That's why I wake up so early. And I look at my phone like with one eye open, expecting to mm -hmm. see some crisis happen. Yeah, I have really switched into like my mornings are a sacred time not to be punctured by the news. Well, but so that I, did not happen on Monday. So what were your first not. thoughts when, I mean, first it was Tucker and then, and apparently, so there was a lot of conspiracy theories going around that like they had colluded that Fox and CNN, which was made no sense to me. Right. But um, I think Brian Stelter tweeted today that it was completely an unimaginable, crazy coincidence. And I tweeted, I said, 
I thought it was great that like, who would have thought Tucker Carlson and Don Lemon would be the grand unifiers of a nation? Like everybody got something yesterday. Everybody was happy. Like, you know, people got rid of Tucker. People got rid of Don Lemon, like left the right. We came together joyful about something. And it was kind of <laughs> nice to see. <laughs> it was, it was definitely shocking. But then I was like, yeah, I guess you don't pay a $700 million settlement and change and then keep the guy who's responsible for that. On well, the I don't even think it's that. I think it's the one coming up. I think it's the woman, oh, the, the producer. The woman a, yeah, the harassment. Yeah, and I think they had emails and, and apparently audio. There are maybe right. their tapes of the conversations. Mm. She recorded them. And so I believe there was some uh, racist, homophobic, sexist, and really derogatory commentary from Tucker and his producers around Fox executives. So Ooh. I think like once you see that and that's going to cost them and there's still other lawsuits coming. Right. So there's still right. that other. So I think they're just like, fuck it. And, and it was yeah. listening to the daily this morning. I thought it was a really interesting point. And also Rachel Maddow did an unbelievable thing on Monday night where she broke down like the history of all these different people from like the, from the thirties on who were these very, who were able to sort of market this ultra right wing, racist, mm -hmm. sexist, homophobic, anti-Semitic slant and get somewhere, but no more so than Tucker. It was really took it to another level, but they all, it's the Icarus syndrome. This is what I see happen with some of my founders. You know, they get too close to the sun. And in this case, Tucker feels that he's bigger than Fox. And it happened with, you know, the other guys, the Glenn Becks of the world, but they, they're like, we're bigger than, we're bigger than Fox. And Fox is like, no, no, <laughs> no, no, no one's bigger than us. Now, you know, there's a lot of, of speculation that Tucker will go on and be huge like a Joe Rogan, but uh, Joe Rogan isn't influencing political moves, which Tucker did in his role at Fox, right? He would, he would sort of use that pedestal to shame politicians and doing things like he would want them to do. I don't think Joe Rogan even has that platform and you know, who's to say, and then, and, and Glenn Beck started a whole media company. Do you, we hear nothing from Glenn Beck. Nothing. That's what I was going to say is who's following Tucker to whatever platform for a steadier diet of the same thing. Marjorie Taylor Greene, she tweeted yeah. yesterday, I will go wherever Tucker goes. Now, does he run for president? Does he run Twitter? Like some people said, because that would be like such an, a space Karen Elon move to like bring, to bring to be the final death knell of that fucking place. Just like Tucker becomes the CEO of Twitter and Twitter just becomes Fox and we all have to go. What happened? <laughs> it does feel like anything's possible, right? Anything's like, possible. Feels, Though he does have a like non-compete. I wonder, I mean, the non-compete will be very, very strict. So he won't be able to do broadcast, I don't think, for quite a while. Um, so he'll be sort of deplatformed in that sense. And he'll have to go onto audio. He hasn't, as of right now, I don't know if he's tweeted. Let's look. Let's look, Shani. Let's see if he's tweeted. We're in the time capsule. So you guys are hearing this on Thursday, but we're recording it Tuesday evening. And nope, his last tweet was still four days ago. He's trying to get a settlement. I, he must be trying to get his settlement locked down. Yeah. With them. And, and unlike, unlike Don Lemon, who... <laughs> He had a different approach than Tucker. He posted that crazy Instagram that basically said, it didn't even allude. He said that after 17 years, he thought he was entitled to a little respect that, that CNN would call him directly. Instead, he found out through his agent that he had been fired and CNN said, that's actually not true. We actually asked you to come talk to us and you said no. So like, Ooh, I mean, classic Don Lemon. But before we go on, you mentioned to me and I told you, don't tell me, don't tell me, don't tell me, don't tell me <laughs> until we can pod. But you said you had a Don Lemon story and I want to hear it. <laughs> and I'm sure everybody wants to hear it. So please You're share. You're like really building it up. You're really building it. It's not that. I mean, it's, it's, it's funny to me, but we'll see. So years ago, I would say it's probably 10 years ago. Um, and it ties into Twitter because this was around the time that people were really talking about the rise of black Twitter and, you know, the power of the people and all of that stuff, like, which in retrospect is like kind of crazy that that 
how that's morphed. But I think I had written a piece for BuzzFeed about Black Twitter. I can't remember the details of it. But you were on you're, you're you're not really on social media these days, but you were more active on Twitter then, right? I was a big Twitter user for a really long time. Like I would say for probably from like 2010 until 2018. And would, would you say, say I mean, was- there's media Twitter, there's Black Twitter. Were you sort of squarely in both? I was really in media Twitter. I wasn't actually really in black. I mean, I was in black Twitter because I'm a black person. So you're just sort of fun- fundamentally <laughs> <You're> just in <laughs> it. adjacent. But I wasn't like part of like the local culture. I was more media Twitter. But I had written a piece. I literally can't remember what it was about. But Don, a producer for Don called me and was like, hey, Don Lemon's doing a piece on black Twitter. Do you want to come on? And I was like, uh, and it was my first media hit I'd ever done, I think. And it, it was on whatever show he had at the time. And I went to the CNN offices. They gave me terrible makeup because it was. They don't they know how to know do how black to... people. They still don't they know correct. how to do black people. <laughs> I, I text Stephanie like all the time and I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> like, look, mainly CNN. It's it's MSNBC. It was, yeah, better. no, it was it's CNN. So I was there and I'm sitting in like the offices. He's not there. He's at home wherever maybe it was Connecticut or something but he's like piped in to me and so he's like they're sort of pre-interviewing me then he's piped in and he comes on and he's like eating and he's just chewing and eating and chewing and eating while talking and he's like I'm eating my mama's gumbo she likes to she freezes it for me and like ships it to me and like it's he's just going on and on about the gumbo and I was just like okay (laughs) <laughs> great thanks for that but it felt like it was like an attempt to become very familiar and oh, I was yeah. just like I'm right I was just like I don't okay was he I trying we to do a professional I, interview was it trying to be like connect on this black level in a way it, that's how it felt yeah. it felt like it was like we're just down home I'm eating gumbo and you're being interviewed in bad makeup so I was <laughs> So the interview is relatively innocuous. It's fine. And then it gets to the end and he's like, so do you think Martin Luther King would have used Twitter? What? <laughs> what? What are you talking about? He did not. No, Shani. And I was, what I was like, on the spot, what do you say? What do you say? So I, I at that point was like, this is a trap. I literally was like this. I was like, this is a trap. I will not, you will not catch any clip of me saying anything that could be used for this question. And so I was like, I, you know, I really couldn't say. And he was like, yeah, but do you like, but don't you think he would be using Twitter like to the power of the people like Martin Luther King? Don't you think he'd be? And I was like, I, I honestly, you know, who can say? It's really just hard to know what anybody would have done. And, and he asked me like at least three times. And every time hard I just... news, hard journalism. I mean, <laughs> could you imagine a journalist being, could you just like, do you think Jesus Christ would do TikTok? Like, what? I don't, you know, I, I didn't know him. Don't know. Don't know. Do you think Jesus Christ would make a ham and cheese sandwich? I don't know. But so probably he, not. He, he was asked, kosher. So he, I, I just don't give him anything that's usable. Then the segment comes out and he got somebody else to answer. <laughs> And just, I can't, I can't remember who it was, but some other person took the bait and did answer the the question and looked foolish. And it was just like one of the, I was just like, thank God I dodged a bullet. Well, you're so media savvy. I knew in my soul, it wasn't the right thing to do. I've media trained clients. I've never given, like, imagine, I wouldn't even know how to media train a client be like, okay, just on the off chance that Don Lemon (laughs) asks you if Martin Luther King would use Twitter. I'd like, let's, let's workshop that. I could never have an answer to that. (laughs) Oh my God. Well, that's sort of, you know, listen, I, I, I know Tucker Carlson and Don Lemon, and I mean that in that I don't know them personally at all, but I know so many of their counterparts, their people. I, I, I know the Tucker Carlson's of the world and I know the Don Lemon's of the world. And, you know, Tucker is smarter, I think, but was way more dangerous and hateful. I don't think Don was filled with hate. I don't think Don was hateful at all. But I think as Chris Licht said in that sort of awkward conversation the other day that was all over Twitter now where he was asked about Don Lemon with Don Lemon sitting in the audience. And he's like, well, Don Lemon was this sort of firebrand at the time that that was what 
we needed. And now that time has passed and Don isn't that person anymore where he doesn't want his hair to be on fire all the time. But I don't think that's true. I think Chris was being very diplomatic because I think Don is that person. And I think, you know, we've heard rumors that he did not get on with the staff and especially the women. But mm-hmm. I will never forget. I was in a hotel room in New York or maybe it was in D.C. It was in D.C. It was for that Kara Swisher birthday. And I was in D.C. I was getting ready. It was in the morning and I had that new morning show on and they were talking about soccer and women's soccer. And I was in the bathroom, I was brushing my teeth and I hear Don Lemon say something like, I can't, I'm, don't quote me. This is just, I'm just sort of summarizing, but said something like, that's why men get paid more because it's more fun to watch and more people watch it because it's more fun to watch. And that's just the way it is. Sorry. And the women were like, wait, what? Like it wasn't even, it didn't even occur to him that he was saying anything controversial. He's just like, I am sorry. That's just the way it is. Men get paid more because because they're more entertaining than women and more people watch it because it is more entertaining. Not like thinking about all of the ways that women have like a lot of people watching media. It's not about just what's more fun. I mean, it's unbelievable to me. And then I lost it. I put it on Twitter. I was like, I cannot believe that just happened. And then a couple months later, he said that thing about Nikki Haley being Mm -hmm. out of her prime. And the last thing I want to be doing is defending fucking Nikki Haley. Like, God damn it. But there he is being like, and I'm like, God damn it. I'm 48. Like, how dare you say it? No, it's just saying what maybe women in their 40s are still like, it was a really kind of shocking. It was shocking. shocking And then his his apology wasn't even an apology. It was, uh, it was just, I felt that he also had what Tucker had, which was there was this sanctimonious CNN is here because of me, not the other mm-hmm. way around. And it, it did not work in the morning. I'll tell you what, like, I just wanted to turn it off. Like I can't, I need nice and calm in the morning. I need something fun. That's easing me into the day. I don't need those bombs dropping off in the, in the early morning. It's just and not happening. so much has changed in how we're even the way that we listen to men, the way that we listen to like the offhand things that they say in media, it's just changed dramatically from the days of, of uh, Matt Lauer and, and all of that. People are way more attuned. And I think it's kind of amazing that he managed to remain so toned up for so long. Although, you know, what was that story that was just basically somebody, somebody texted me. It was like, he abused like generations of women at CNN. You I know, mean, it's apparently goes back all 17 years that he was yeah. a bully and that was accepted and it's not acceptable anymore. And you're just seeing yeah. this sort of like, it's wild. I wonder who's next. I mean, there's quaking in the boots, but you know where I'm going to be this weekend? The White House where? Correspondents' Dinner. Oh. oh my God. Can you believe it? I am going the whole weekend. So it's going to be parties. It's Tammy Tam Tam's brunch, which mm-hmm. is like, according to Tinks, who did the Rich Moms of DC, it's like that is the social spot of the year. And Wait, I'm, is this your first time going? No, I went. Last, no? Remember, I went to Tammy last year. I yeah. fell on my face, broke my nose, got COVID. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. was fun. Yeah, that was like you got COVID. It- the last one That's on my birthday. Yeah. So yeah. I'm going yeah. this one. Same. It's also my birthday, but I am going to the dinner itself this time. Oh, I feel like, okay, here's my opinion about the dinner. I think it's gotten, I don't know how big it is this year, but I went the last one before COVID when uh, Trump wasn't going, but they still kept doing it. And it just was so packed and enormous. And like, you could almost like not move. And I'm curious what the vibes are. Um, all I know is that I am very excited to be going. I'm going, I'm sitting at the Axios table with uh, Live Nation. I'm very excited, but I am more excited than anything is that Lisa Vanderpump and Ariana have been announced as the, uh, literally, this is the quote, esteemed guests of the Daily Mail. They'll be at the Daily Mail table. So fabulous! I am telling you, if I don't get myself a selfie with little Miss Lisa Vanderpump showing her <laughs> my potato tattoo on my arm, because I've got I've played it all out. I'm going to show it to her and she's going to be pointing at my tattoo and we're going to take an <laughs> Insta story and it's going to be a sensation. I don't care about Ariana, though. I might be like, you know, that guy sucks, but I am very excited about my my whole mapping out. Lisa Vanderpump showing her my tattoo, getting her to want a dog tattoo and going from mm-hmm. there and becoming mm-hmm. best friends mm-hmm. and probably hanging out with her at her house with Ken. I think that's like 100 percent 
going to happen. It's going to happen. I'm not going to fall on my face this year. I'm not going to break my nose. I'm not. Nope. And I hope I don't get COVID, but I'm very excited about it. And because it's going to be unbelievable. I mean, the content that's going to come out of this dinner, the, it's just, you know, I mean, we know what it's going to be, but it's going to be sensational. And I know we talked a little bit about Twitter. You brought up to me before we started recording this sort of Twitter TikTok thing that's happening right now. In that I, how I differentiate because I I live on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. I do. I love TikTok. Yeah. What is it that you don't necessarily love about TikTok? So obviously, I I've bought so many things from TikTok. I like have spent many hours scrolling. I think part of it is my own the way that I'm approaching social media altogether, which is trying to be a little bit more intentional or recognizing when like it's bad for the brain, right? I got off Instagram years ago. I got off Facebook years before that. Twitter was sort of the last thing to go. And then TikTok showed up. Right. And I don't think of TikTok as a social network because it's not. No, it's, right, it's, it's really it's just in- like watching videos. Yeah. And addictive. So for, yeah. But that was the problem for me it was is. that I would find myself two hours scrolling. I know. And it's, it's a like, problem. I have to, I will say like 10 more videos and then I'll do get through the 10 and I'll be like, those yeah. didn't count. Another 10 more. <laughs> <laughs> so in some ways that's wonderful. Twitter became such a shit show. I mean, for those of you who read the newsletter, but who just live in, in online, you know that on 420, the, the, the joke never ends with Elon and his 420. He got rid of all the legacy check marks, blue check marks. And so the only people who were going to have blue check marks were those people who paid. And it was funny, Joanna Stern of the Wall Street Journal and myself both acknowledged, today's the day you're going to find out we paid for Twitter. And I had, I've told the story, I paid for it. I have since unsubscribed. So I think like come May 12th, I will no longer have a blue check or at least that's what it Unless says. Unless he decides that you but should But who knows? So everybody got rid of the blue check. Nobody was verified. It went as well as you could expect. Like New York City was like, this is our government Twitter, da, da, da. And then somebody else popped up and was like, no, this is ours. Like it was a disaster. People started mimicking because anybody then could pay. If I gave up my blue check, somebody could pay and be Brooke Hammerling on Twitter. So, you know, disaster ensued. And then all of a sudden a couple people had blue checks and that was uh, LeBron James. That was Stephen King. And that was William Shatner. And these were three people who had been outspoken on Twitter about not, they're not going to pay for blue checks. So it looked like Elon, to spite them, gave them these checks. And then he came out and said, yes, I gave them to you. I bought them for you out of my own pocket, $8 a day, namaste or whatever he said to Stephen King. Now, I think there's some legal issues with that because, but mind you, it's still, it because they say they didn't pay for it. They didn't pay for it, but they're, they have a blue check, which then when you go over it, it says they have a blue check because they have a paid subscriber of Twitter Blue. And then the next day, all of our friends started getting their blue checks back. And we realized it's people with generally a million followers or more who are prominent, like Kara Swisher got her blue check back. And Maggie Haberman of the New York Times got her blue check back. And um, Paul Krugman, uh, is that how I say it? Krugman? Anyway, he got his blue check mark back. They all started saying, we didn't pay for this. Like, I don't want to, this is needs to be clarified. I got my blue check. It says because they're a subscriber and Elon would respond with like crying baby emojis or gifts rather to, um, to Paul, just very childlike, but it does raise a really interesting legal question because it's like misrepresenting, right? So he's paying for these people to have blue check marks, but making it so they're false advertising because not every, like, so everybody who sees them thinks that they've paid. So then they'll pay, but these people haven't paid. So it's, it's so icky. And it goes back to being the same exact fucking problem that he was trying to get rid of in the beginning, which was that people were arbitrarily given blue checks, whether they were yeah, famous. It's almost or, like he wasn't trying to solve that problem. No. It's almost like he was just trying to create more chaos. I think he's just trying to burn the whole thing down. I don't think he wants Twitter. I think he just wants, I think it's just like, Chaos yeah, that's monkey. my, yeah, do you, well, well, funny side, funny aside about William Shatner, who, you know, he himself is a spiteful person. He once <laughs> blocked every person on Twitter who worked at BuzzFeed because 
he he didn't like a story that we published about a show getting canceled and him he complained about a show getting canceled on twitter we wrote a story about it and then he proceeded to block every single person on twitter <laughs> who worked at buzzfeed <laughs> people who didn't follow him people who didn't had never oh my interacted God, that's with really him. funny i did that once with bloomberg <laughs> business week and bloomberg i feel bad like i was really spiteful and i just unfo- I, I blocked everyone and then and then i like i got over it a couple months later and i was like oh fuck why i blocked that person no wonder i can't <laughs> and it took me so long to go back i apologize to whoever i'm still blocked like spite you know i like it i like it spite city man i like a little that's bit twitter of it. twitter is spite city i think that's all that's happening and the reason back to tiktok why i love tiktok is listen i had no interest in going to coachella i get full-on anxiety if i can't exit a situation really quickly the only time i've gone to festivals i'm gonna i'm not gonna lie it's the bougiest thing it's the most like ridiculous thing i could say but i've gone with a rock band that i've gone totally you get in you land you get to hang out backstage and then there is a helicopter or bus waiting to take you immediately out of the situation when you're ready and that is my jam i can do that i cannot do where i just am in the midst of the crowds and i don't know when I'm going to get to a bed or a toilet or anything like that. But because, and I wasn't watching it on YouTube, which they were streaming. And obviously the first weekend followed closely with all the drama with Frank Ocean and all the great bands and acts that came out, but I wasn't really particularly interested in it. I had no FOMO. And then TikTok started to show me what I missed this past weekend in real time. And it was it was literally the thing, like my heart stopped. Like I was like, please, please, please stop. Please, please don't let me go back there. And that was Zendaya, the surprise with Labyrinth, who is the composer and singer of the entire um, soundtrack for the first season of Euphoria. And he's singing this incredible song and it's like, I'm tired and it's very emotional. I'm tired, I'm tired. And he's in these chains on and the audience is just you could hear a pin drop because he's so theatrical and so powerful in his presentation of this music. And then all of a sudden I'm watching and I knew something was happening because it said in the, like it said Zendaya, but the little hairs on the back of my neck stood up as you hear the screaming, like the intense shrieking craziness of the fans as all of a sudden teeny little Zendaya with her long hair and her high boots comes out singing. And this is the, mm-hmm. like, she is a singer. She is an actress. She is in all of it, but she hasn't performed on the stage with singing in over seven years. And it was a gift. It was a gift. And I had FOMO and tell me how you felt about it, Shani. Cause I thought of you. Well, when I stopped to w- look at that TikTok, cause I did see it in your newsletter, it just reminded me like, she really is the moment. There's not anybody like, like her. And as you point out in seven years, and what was funny to me watching it was like, she sounded amazing. Her voice sounded incredible. She had like beyond stage presence. It was just when she, she kneeled just, down she to him it. and she yes. and he like smiled at each other when they heard the crowd erupt. And she yes. had this she wasn't nervous. She just she owned it. And then she looked amazing, which is, you know, that, you know, hair. that had to be extensions, hair, right? That was awesome. Yeah, yeah. It was that, that, those extensions it. look incredible. To me, what was funny watching the performance was People are just screaming the entire time. One, because nobody knows the words to these songs because they're not like pop songs. They're not. They're just, this is like they're just songs from the soundtrack of Euphoria. So like nobody knows the words. They're just screaming at the top of their lungs. And I would have been right there with them. I would have been right there. I really, I really was upset about that. And it's interesting because he's also, he had Sia, he had Billie Eilish. All of those came out and I didn't, like it didn't resonate with didn't me. even didn't even didn't even break through and I love all of them I mean love me some Sia love me some Billie Eilish but oh my god the Zendaya thing and like I do think she's the moment I think she is this epitome of what this modern woman is and she is so self-confident she is biracial she's a singer an actress a dancer like she's she's cool she also she's like chosen I think the other thing that struck me is she has the kind of voice and presence and stage presence she could be touring she could be releasing albums and she said in the past she does not she has not put out any more albums because one the music industry takes too much from you and two, she signed ba- a bad deal when she was a kid. And so it's so like it's ruined her wh- whatever next record she would put out would she would be screwed over, basically. Yeah. And there's, a bad you contract. know, I mean, the music industry historically has been terrible for women and it's getting mm-hmm. better. And with the likes of 
Um, I know Live Nation has an unbelievable program around women, and um, some of them were very involved with the Taylor Swift stuff as she took back her rights and so forth, but got a long way to go. But another woman of the moment, which is completely unexpected for me, was, and this is where we're going to end uh, on our last sort of talking about, but was Sophia Ritchie. And I, oh. as I said in the newsletter, it was the best wedding I've ever been to. And I love all my friends, but it was the best, best wedding I've ever been to this weekend. But I was not there. I was not in the South of France. I would have loved to have been there. I had friends that were there. The Hotel de Cap is one of my favorite hotels. That part of the world is one of my favorite places. This is a woman who I have followed over the years. I certainly was a fan of her uh, older sisters and I was part of that whole Paris Hilton, Nicole Richie drama back when they were hot masses. And then, and then Sophia was sort of this sort of like, you know, got into the Kardashian world. She was dating the Scott Disick and she was too mm-hmm. young, but you saw that you followed her and I was sort of like, okay. And then all of a sudden she's with, Elliot Grange, who's the son of the most, one of the most powerful people in music, but he's doing his own thing. And they have this out of the blue fairy tale wedding that she and her team so brilliantly, because you know what, if she hadn't done what she did, people would have been like that rich bitch. Oh, that's disgusting. Oh, that obnoxious amount of money. How dare she? Da, 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 da. Instead, she took us along with her. She's like, I'm going to launch my TikTok and we're going to do get readies with me and help me pick out an outfit and doing it in real time. And you saw this in like, as opposed to the Nicola Peltz, who just seemed like a rich bitch that didn't relate and marrying Brooklyn Beckham and had the wedding that she wished was Sophia Richie's and wished it was that. And she was criticized on everything. She looked terrible. The outfits were too much and everybody was over the top. Too much money. Grandiose. Outrageous. You, We can't connect with you. All of a sudden you had Sophia Richie who's wearing hundreds of thousands of dollars of clothes, Chanel, custom, all of these things. Every outfit was, you know, bougier than the last. And yet the community of TikTok was like, I am here for it. She's the it girl. I am so into everything here. I thought it was genius. All right, guys, it's the night before my wedding weekend starts. So my family's about to land and I'm just gonna get ready for dinner. Excuse this weird flicker in this bathroom. I have no idea what it is, but... Um, And as you can tell, I really went to town on my skin today in the sun, which was a mistake. So we were using my extra dark concealer. I have a talent of doing my makeup really fast. I actually don't think it's a talent of doing my makeup fast. I think I just, I don't do much. It's a little chilly here, but the UV is really high. So I was sitting in the sun thinking nothing was happening when really I was just burning to a crisp. I'm really contemplating whether I should put some blush on because I'm so wet. You know what, we're gonna do blush. I feel like really warm in the face, it's kind of scary. I'm very excited for my family to get here. I feel like I'm running on pure adrenaline and I think I have heat stroke. What did you think? No, I agree. I mean, I, I definitely followed Sophia back in the day when I was still on platforms and I thought she was, I always thought she was intriguing even though she was, she wasn't too young for Scott. Scott was too old for her. That's my perspective. I think okay. that, you know, <laughs> like, I don't want to make it about her doing something wrong. Right. I think okay. You're right. It, he was, you know old. what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. But I also knew like, just based on the Kardashian universe, the women are almost always more interesting. There's always something going on with them. So I just assumed that she was a like smart person and probably an interesting person more so than was, than you really saw from pics on Daily Mail. Plus her sister, hilarious. Everybody loves Lionel Richie. Just like good people now (laughs) who we all love, right? They're all having a moment. I mean, it was, but it was, it was, it was so baffling to me how in the course of 24 hours, people- She went from, yeah, from nothing to everything. To being the it girl of like, you know, like Hailey Bieber is like, you know, bye. Who? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Hailey's probably like, thank God, leave me alone. I know. Well, at this point. But I do think Sophia did a good job of of harnessing the fact that people do want to feel in touch and feel like there's something relatable to somebody who's so untouchable and so many- it seems obvious or it seems like an easy thing to do, but actually it's 
as you know, it's incredibly hard. It's think, so hard, people- especially in, you know, in TikTok, you do have people that are like that, that extreme signs of wealth. People don't respond mm-hmm. well to it right now. They're just not, they're like, okay, rich bitch, like tell me you're, you have money without telling me you have money. Like there's always that first response of just like, we can't relate to that. And so here you have this girl in a hotel that like minimum is $2,000 a night. Meals mm-hmm. are hundreds of dollars a day. They're drinking champagne that costs millions of dollars by like with all the bottles, the fireworks, the, the, the everything, the whole hotel and people were rooting for her. I mean, it is almost, it boggles the mind to me and yeah. you know, it's going to be interesting how they follows. Cause you know, sometimes these things then take on a life of its own and there'll be backlash. There always is backlash, but she seems really smart and connected in terms of just enough of what she gives. So we'll see. It's going to be a really interesting one to watch. I am calling that. So let's, let's end here with my favorite make out, marry mute. It can be of things we talked about. It could be of nothing we talked about. It could just be what's going on. I can start if you want. So I just, I'll put it, it's on Instagram. If you saw, I just wallpapered my bathroom with mushrooms. It's mushroom wallpaper. It's the most incredible thing. It's like walking into Alice in Wonderland. I can't wait for you to see it. Like the downstairs Downstairs powder room is all mushrooms. Even the ceiling is mushrooms. It's like literally it's, it's like sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And there's a really funny Instagram going around of Pedro Pascal dressed up in mush as a mushroom. Like each outfit matches a mushroom. So that's, I would make out with Pedro Pascal as mushrooms. to go with my mushroom, my mushroom bathroom. Um, I would also marry Sophia Ritchie and Elliot Grange. I would like to be in the, I would have loved to be at that wedding. I want that wedding. I just want that wedding. I wish I looked like her with the hair slicked back. I wish I didn't have Dumbo ears and a round football face or rugby ball face. I would love to look like that whole thing. I would like to marry them. And then I would mute. I mean, you guys did it for me. Fox. You did it for me. You muted you muted Tucker Carlson for the time being. I'm not holding my breath. It will last long. But for the time being, I don't even have to do it. It was done for me. And uh, props to the Murdoch family who never thought you'd hear me say that. But thank you. Thank you, Uncle Roop. Appreciate it. That's where I stand. Okay, here's what I would make out with Giants Twitter. Oh, which- you love that. SF Giants Twitter, not New York Giants SF- Twitter, guys, just to clarify. <laughs> no, no, please, please. Because I feel like the team has been had, had a little bit of a rough start this season. They're they're nine and thirteen as of this game that's currently playing. And it's been just nice to to spend time around people who try to focus on the positives. So I like people who like bring positivity. Love it. There's a lot of positivity. I would marry no, you know, I would marry Potato, honestly, because we have a special connection. You do. You know. Oh, my God. Was it the first dog that you really bonded with? Because so, guys, right when I moved to uh, Los Angeles and it was in the heart of COVID lockdown, Shawnee came over and we were I was yeah. crying. I was so happy. We sat in my garden and my dog barks at everybody that comes in and Potato was mesmerized and then <laughs> d- just sat on Shawnee. He like literally couldn't not be on, on my lap. It was, he he's like not backed small. up onto you. Like he backed <laughs> his butt up. Like he couldn't, he kept pressing into you. Like he wouldn't, and you would move your legs and he would dig back further. So he wouldn't slide off your lap. It was the craziest yeah. thing I've ever seen. Yeah. So I would marry potato and I would mute, I would mute the Dodgers. Yeah. Sorry. You're really struggling over here. Aren't you, David? <laughs> <laughs> okay. I would meet the Dodgers. I like it. I like this. We're ending on a baseball, a baseball note, a baseball note. I, um, I used to date a guy who actually, (laughs) my ex-boyfriend, Mike Mills. Hi, Mikey Mike, an ex-boyfriend of mine who's an REM. When I tweeted, by the way, last week I said, I tweeted something like, every time I get a notification from 23andMe that I have new DNA relatives, I pour a big glass of wine, sit down, take a drink and take a deep breath, expecting to see somebody I've dated on that list. And Mike responded, hey, cuz. <laughs> so funny. He's so funny. I mean, I'm glad like we haven't dated in a gazillion years, but we still have a sense of humor, but he's a huge baseball junkie, a huge baseball junkie. Um, he even has a band called the baseball project, I think, but, um, he would take me to Atlanta Braves games. Like I would go to like 30 a season. It was great. We had so much fun. Loved it. 
So Loved it. So well, thank you guys. This was an incredible one. And David, thank you for being a producer of my dreams and doing this so late this evening. And, um, but it's Thursday when you hear this, lots will probably happen in the meantime. So this is pop culture Mondays on Thursdays and we'll see you next week. Pop culture Mondays.